You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Son, your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. You've been busted. You lost your qualifications as section leader three times. Put in hack twice by me. With a history of high-speed passes over five air-controlled towers and one admiral's daughter. And it is Tech Fan Podcast number 404. And this is going to be a little bit of a shorter episode um, David Cohen's here with Aya. That's not the problem. The problem, David, is I've got to wake my wife and son up really soon because he goes to camp for a week, and uh, they, we can't be late for that. No, no. An important part of the summer ritual for kids, people with mm-hmm. kids. Yeah, uh, Alexander's going to camp in about about a month, so uh, we've got. We've got Chicago and Max Stock in a couple of weeks, and then a couple of weeks after that, he's going. Fun. Yeah. I, I, I never really went to camp as a kid. No, I, I did a couple of things that weren't really fun camp. They were kind of like army-style camps, and they were they were more meant to be character-building than fun. So I've never done anything like that either. Mm-hmm. Alexander, is, he lives for camp every year. He, he talks about it being his real home, which is... <laughs> Slightly disappointing, but there you go. Well, you know how kids are. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> uh, I uh, when I think of camp, I think of movies that depicted camp way yeah. back in the eighties. Well, uh, yeah, that we we didn't have those sorts of camps here in the UK, so that was the only exposure we got to them was you know things like Friday the Thirteenth and. Like that. Well, that's not quite the camp that I was thinking of. Uh, um, <laughs> God, I'm not going to let Cole watch that before he leaves. Yeah. <laughs> so what's funny was I had a, uh, as part of work, <clears throat> I had a, a vehicle I had to deliver. And it's for um, a tribal government. All right. And so I, it, they couldn't come pick up the vehicle because if they came and picked it up, they have to have a plate on the vehicle they have to have insurance on the vehicle, and because they're a separate government uh, than the United States, um, if I take it to them, they don't have to pay taxes. They don't have to prove that there's insurance on the vehicle. They don't have to have a plate. I just put a dealer plate and drive down there. <clears throat> it's about an hour south of uh-huh. uh, work. So when we were coming back, because I had to obviously I had to have someone come with me, because what am I going to walk? Yeah. Um, we decided we were in a, uh, a Land Cruiser, $85,000 Land Cruiser. Mm-hmm. We thought it would be cool to take a couple pictures for social media uh, of the vehicle itself by this lake because we saw this sign that says Lake Access. Right. It's kind of in the middle of nowhere, this place. So we went down this road, and I, it, it was really weird. It's like we're in the country, open fields. Then these trees show up. We go through these trees, and all of a sudden, the speedometer or the speed limit says ten miles an hour. Uh-huh. We thought, well, did we like go down a private road or something? But no, clearly not, because it's a public access. Yeah, and sure enough, it's a summer camp, uh-huh. and we have to drive right through this summer camp. And there's all these teenagers, and there's a lake, and then there's these tennis courts, and there's this little stand that looks like it's like ice cream or something. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, this is like a an '80s John Cusack movie type of summer camp. I mean, that's yeah. what it looked like—the way the kids were dressed. Um, it was it was bizarre. And, 
and Alex, who was with me, were kind of looking around like, what what just happened here? <laughs> but we both agreed it may have been the coolest looking camp we had ever seen. I mean, for all yeah. we know, it was it was crazy, you know, cultists and they were planning on overthrowing the government or something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but it was it, it really harkened back to the 80s, right. which brings me to our topic this week. Uh, I thought it would be fun to kind of, you know, right now, David, everyone's talking about these summer blockbusters, how big it is. This this might be one of the biggest summers for movies, and it really is. I mean, Spider-Man Far From Home is looking to pass the $1 billion mark. <clears throat> uh, Avengers, uh, they're like the second top-rated movie of all time. So, in yeah. other words, Disney and Sony are making all the money. Everybody else is kind of hurting a little bit, but... There's some really good movies out there. So what was it like when we were younger? Mm. So let's go back to 1986 and kind of see, well, what were the big 10 to the 10 big movies of 86? And can they compare in quality to what we've got right now? Sound like fun? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> no. I've got hay fever, by the way, folks, right now. <clears throat> so I'm all stuffy. Fun. So I found uh, the IMD page for 1986, and this goes through the end of the year. For, so from January 1st to December 31st, and you've got the list in front of you, but the number one movie of that year kind of surprises me a little bit. Yeah, it does. It's uh, Top Gun, which is, um, you know, it is a, a seminal, a seminal blockbuster movie, but it was one of those things I, you've we kind of forget in today's world what it was like in the 80s. You didn't know these movies were coming out until you saw a trailer in the cinema. Uh, so, you know, there was no internet. There was no buzz uh, around these things. There was no two years of lead-up where you knew the movie was being made and who was making it and who was directing it and who was starring in it. Uh, and the other thing that's very, very, very obvious from this list is that these are all... Uh, there are no sequels... Initially. No, no, not one. And there are no sequels, uh, and they are all original properties in that they are not adaptations. Um, in the, well, no, one of them is. There's, there's, some, there's some book ad- adaptations, or oh, there's one sequel. Yeah. Um, but uh, there are, they are not, there's no comic book movies here at all, obviously. Um, and yeah, this is the way the movie business used to be, which is people pitched a new idea and then made a movie about it. Um, so Top but, Gear starring Tom Gunn, Kelly McGinnis. You know, I didn't Gears, even, Top Gear starring Tom, uh, Tom Gunn, that's right. Tom Gunn. Um, Tim Robbins, Vale Kilmer. Um, I like Top Gear when it came out. Remember, this was, the, you know, at towards the end of the Cold War, but still very much the height of it. Especially because yeah. this came out in 86, which meant they filmed it in 85. Yeah. This was the movie that made Top, uh, Tom Cruise... Or Tom Gunn, um, <laughs> who he, he is top, today. He was Top Gunn when he was Tom Cruise. He, yes, <clears> it, it did. It made him a real star. He um, was a teen heartthrob up to this point. Risky Business and, you know, uh, what's that other one? with the, It had a whole bunch of teens in it, a military setting, too. Oh, uh, Taps. 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 He was in Taps, yeah. <clears throat> Those were his big movies up to this point, And then all yeah. of a sudden Top Gear comes out and his career just exploded. Yeah, it's it certainly did, and and um, the thing about this movie is that is that it had an aesthetic that nobody had ever seen before. Um, it was it was created in cooperation with the with the navy, 
Yep. <laughs> you know, um, which was kind of what made it gave it even though it's not really anything remotely authentic it gave it a level of authenticism that movies didn't have back then because everybody made their own stuff up whereas this with this you know it had the language it had the scenes it had the planes uh, and that was the, the the real thing about it is that you know this is way before cgi um, yep. and they they basically they did this by going up there and filming real f-14 jets um <clears throat> and, and Tony Scott, the- by the way, was the director. Tony Scott. Yeah, that explains a lot of the aesthetic, by the way. Yeah, yeah, it's got it's you know it uses the soundtrack very well. I mean, this is this was kind of a prototypical uh, kind of a military blockbuster, um, yep. and uh, you know the the plot's a bit weak. Um, it's it's been rightly mocked. Um, with, a, with a kind of a, a modern lens for for some of the uh, stereotypes it uh, you know it, it, it features in terms of the ardent masculinity and all of that sort of thing. But you know what? If you've never seen it before, it's a rip rocking movie, and it doesn't surprise me that it was the top top movie in 1986. It doesn't surprise me either. Uh, here's one factoid that you absolutely don't know: um, a, a really good friend of mine who's gay said this is, uh, of all his uh, friends, <clears throat> this is one of their favorite movies, at least one of the scenes, and that's the volleyball scene. Yeah. He says, he goes, he says to me jokingly, I think, but maybe not so much jokingly, he goes, that is the one of the most erotic scenes in any movie. <laughs> I well, go, I, I, I don't yeah, think that, so. And he goes, no, if you were gay, you would understand. And then I, I, seeing I, it I, through that yeah. lens, okay, yeah, I see it now. I think, um, I think it was... Um, Quentin Tarantino who first pointed that out. Oh really? Know, and it, yeah, he said he said it's it's uh, in fact I'm looking here at the list of plot keywords that are on IMDb and the first one not that we have pilot flying jet as as plot, plot keywords the first one on their list is male objectification. Well there you <laughs> go. Yeah. <laughs> I rest my case. Yeah, that's right. You know, if, so that's Everyone's oiled up whether they need to be or not in this movie. Uh, yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, number two, uh, one of my favorite directors of all time directed this movie, which I know a lot of people really love. I don't care for it much. It's It no? was the one of his, well, two of this director's movies, the other one being the first Home Alone. Um, I, I think it's some of his worst work, and that's Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I, I never, meh. It just seemed... I never, here's the thing, I never bought Matthew Broderick in the role. Right. I never did. He was, he was wimpy and I, I, I just didn't buy it. I bought him in War Games, but I didn't buy him in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like he's supposedly this really cool kid and, you know, everybody just kind of goes along and he's smarter than everybody else and... I, I it never really. I mean, the whole plot of the movie, David, is that he wants a day off, <laughs> so yeah. he fake he 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 fakes a um, he fakes an illness so he can have a day off from school, uh, and hijinks ensue. Um, but you know, it's one of this. It's one of those movies where it doesn't matter what they do, and and as they go through the movie, they do more and more extreme things. They always get away with it, and um, they always do it. Either on purpose or, or accidentally, incredibly cleverly, um, and there's a lot of breaking the fourth wall, um, 
Which I don't like in movies usually. Yeah. So it's okay so he, in Deadpool, but not in this one. Yeah, so he's talking to the camera, he's talking directly to the audience. Um, yeah, I, I, I know what you mean. I, I think that when, I seem to remember that when I first saw Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and I can't remember, I, I didn't see a lot of movie in this in movies in the in the movie theater in the eighties because I was at boarding school. So I yeah. saw a lot of these after they came out. Um, but I seem to remember watching it and having similar sort of feelings about him at the beginning, but kind of buying into it towards the end. Um, but the the thing about this movie is is it's it's more than the sum of its parts. That's that's kind of I think what has made it iconic, and particularly over time. Um, even though it's number two in in the list for 1986, I think it's it's grown in stature over the years because it's it's a love letter to, to Chicago, where John Hughes was from. Um, you know, it has a lot of very clever things in it that have become memes. You know, like the uh, you know like the teacher with the monotone voice and the uh, you know the the, uh, the whole concept of kind of fooling your parents and and fooling the, the system and taking the day off and all of that um it has a lot of iconic scenes in it and um and it is very funny i i actually alexander watched this recently the first time he'd seen it uh, and he really enjoyed it he thought it was funny but there's uh, a uh i read this online years ago so i like the f- i this makes the movie better have you ever seen garfield without garfield i have yeah okay so <laughs> so taking that idea uh, yeah. Ferris obviously is the star of the movie. Cameron is his best friend that kind of reluctantly goes along with this and is dragged through. But the theory being that Cameron, played by the great uh, Alan Ruck, by the way, great yeah. actor, uh, captain of the Enterprise B, um, yeah. it, Cameron, it's really about Cameron and Ferris doesn't exist. Uh-huh. Karen, Ka- uh, Ferris is... Cameron's imaginary fight club type of character that yeah. it's really him. And mm-hmm. if that's what it really was, it, if at the end of the movie you find out Ferris doesn't exist, it's really Cameron. The movie would have been so much better. Yeah. Could I, you imagine I, at the end you get to it and you find out, no, this is all Cameron. Yeah. I've, I've funnily enough, I've heard a similar theory about, uh, about home alone. The other John Hughes movie you mentioned that, um, if you if you if you watch the movie with the idea that um, that uh, what's his name that Kevin is a ghost, yes, that yeah, Kevin's actually that, dead. That he's dead, uh, and that's why they leave him behind because he's a he's kind of like a poltergeist, and that's why none none of them can stand him. It puts the whole movie again into a completely different sphere. Yeah, um, you know, and that's why he's able to the the bad guys are also ghosts. That's why he's able to inflict awful injuries without really hurting them, and all of this sort of stuff. You know. Um, yeah, it's it's it is interesting. I I don't think that's what they were going for, but it is interesting. Um, yeah, I I mean, a film like this does hinge off you buying into the lead's performance, and mm-hmm. um, you know, I kind of I do. I think nowadays, if you were doing something like Ferris Bueller, you'd want something very different for his character. You'd yeah. want a very different actor, and perhaps that's part of it as well. But um, yeah, it's a uh, it. It's still pretty funny. You know. Number three, I loved this movie when it came out. I hate the song. Um, <clears throat> Rob Reiner adapting a Stephen King movie or book. Uh, Stephen King, obviously, a very popular horror writer. Although I never found most of his books all that horrifying. Uh, I loved The Gunslinger until I gave up on it. It, it was great yeah. when it started and it just kind of dragged on and I didn't care anymore. 
and the movie was really bad. Um, but this was a book that I never read. When the movie came out, I didn't know anything about it, and that's Stand By Me. Yeah. And, you know, uh, the description, it's a coming-of-age story. Will Wheaton is brilliant in it. Uh, River Phoenix, this is where his story kind of starts as far as an actor, and, of course, he he passes away a few years later. Uh, Corey Feldman is in this, and Jerry O'Connell. And after the death of one of his friends, a writer recounts a boyhood journey with his friends to find the body of a missing boy. Yeah, the the, <clears throat> the the story it was based on wasn't even a book. It was a short story. Um, Stephen King That's right, occasionally, yes. occasionally used to do these compilations of short stories, and it was one of those in there called The Body. Um, uh, and it's it, you know this is a pretty faithful adaptation, to be honest. Um, but they really knocked it out of the park. They, the the story had a it it kind of had a, a a whimsical timelessness to timelessness to it that that really came out in the in the in the story uh, and they absolutely nailed that in this movie as well um they really got the whole camaraderie type thing and it and it was a really hard thing to pull off i think you know because you had young stars who sometimes with the best will in the world no matter how great they are as actors they can often be a little bit uneven because they yes. have lack of experience uh, and these kids you just bought into it and it, it's a it's a great film it really yep. is a great film number four is platoon uh directed by oliver stone and this is also kind of where oliver stone went from being a, a great director to somebody that kind of went off the rails and became a conspiracy conspiracy theorist theorist uh, it's also kind of the Charlie Sheen is the main star of this movie where he was another one of these kind of teen actors. You put yeah, him in a fact, serious role and then all of a sudden. He, yeah, he was in, um, he was in uh, Ferris Bueller and playing mm-hmm. the, the, you know, the angry teen, which was yep. kind of what he did back then. And then he came and did this. And he didn't come out of this movie right. This no. this was the beginning of his whole tiger blood thing. Yeah. Tom Berenger, William Defoe. This this movie kind of defines William Defoe as an actor. Keith David's in it as well. Um, I loved William Defoe in this. He was just he was insane. I yeah. mean, it, the the facial expressions he makes in this movie define the rest of his career. Um, I loved Platoon. I thought it was amazing. And of course, my dad, being a Vietnam veteran, um, it drew me in thinking maybe I'm going to understand my dad a little bit better because of it. I didn't. Um, but it was a great movie. Not only that, this was the first time that kind of as a, as a country, America started to face what it had done in Vietnam because this was not a, unlike Top Gun, which is an unvarnished, you know, we're America, we're great type thing. Uh, Platoon is absolutely not. Um, it's, it tried to be, I, I think the problem with Platoon is that over the years it became pastiched by itself. <laughs> If you know what I mean, because this this people started doing these very gritty war movies, and everyone one of them kind of went further and further into the horrors of war. Um, and if you go back and look at Platoon in that light, um, while it is definitely covering that that subject matter, it, it's nowhere near as gritty as, as some of the later ones are. But really, it, it created the genre of the real. The, it really did the real war movie, uh, and it was I, I remember it was very controversial at the time because people didn't really want to confront the horror of what Vietnam had been. The country had been trying to forget about it rather than embrace it and recognize it. And uh, Platoon very much tried to bring it to the fore and I think succeeded. The only sequel on the list of the top ten is Aliens. And of course that's... 
yeah, the reason I missed this as a sequel is because it's not really a sequel. No. This is this is a separate movie in the same universe. Yes, it has some of the same characters in it, but in terms of tone and, and what it delivers, it's completely different to the original movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I've never, I've always thought of them as complementary pieces, but not really sequels. Unlike the rest of them after this, which were, which is uh, yeah, Aliens, the uh, the James Cameron take on the um, on the Xenomorphs. Uh, and, yeah. and this really, I, this movie blew me away when I saw it. I mean, much in the same way that he did with Terminator Judgment Day later on, he took something that you thought you knew and turned it completely on its head. Yeah. Um, and and made a, and again, an absolute fantastic movie, and and very much a kind of a, a template for what we have in some of blockbusters nowadays. Yeah, because the first Alien was more of a horror film. Yeah. And then this one is more a science fiction action film. Yeah. And it just works. It I liked Aliens much better than Alien. Yeah. Yeah, um, this is this is, you know, and it has it, again, as I say, it has these these tropes in it that have now become standard for sci-fi um, stroke action movies, which is, you know, the evil corporation directing things behind the scenes. Right. Yeah, the um the the plucky hero heroine in the middle of it who's not going to take it anymore and is going to wrest control from the machinations of what's going on around them the um the selfless sacrifice of people who find themselves in this situation and even though they're not really bought into it they just go well it's, it's our job to do the right thing and so they all do and of course most of them die as a result you know yeah. the big action finale you know uh, particularly that kind of double thing where you think you think the movie's over and then actually you find it's not, you know, and then there's the big boss to be dealt with at the end. Um, it's, it's all there. Uh, yeah, you know, great. Those kind of tropes, like you said, kind of started with this movie. I mean, yeah. James Cameron was, I think at his best here, this yeah. and, and Terminator two. Yeah. Um, because he did the same thing in Terminator 2, in a way. Exactly, yeah. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I know a lot of people point to Avatar. I think that's actually when he lost his mind. Um, <laughs> you know, that he's making the next four movies in that series right now, and I could care less. I don't care. And I, there's not one part of me that goes, oh, he's making Avatar Part 2, finally, 15 I, years later. All right. I, I don't I care. I think... I think the thing with Avatar is that while it made such a big impact, it was it made such a big impact because it was a it moved forward filmmaking in a yes. way that had never been done before. And you can't, I don't think you, you take that away. But actually, as a as a property, as a concept, as it's a story, boring. yeah, it wasn't great. And and you know what, it's had no cultural resonance. I know they have like a, they've got Avatar theme parts in some of the Disney parts and that sort of thing. But actually, it's because it made so much money. Yeah, but but the re, people don't play. With Avatar toys, you know, kids no. don't play with Avatar toys. There's not been a whole load of Avatar spin-offs because basically it's generic and dull. Well, yeah. here's a question for you: If if Avatar is the number one selling movie of all time, and I think a lot of that had to do with computer animation and the very beginning of the new 3D phase that we went through very briefly, which yeah, thankfully um, is completely dead now. And also um, as well, like it, part of the reason it made so much money is because of those technological things. Yes. They charged a lot more for the tickets for it. Yeah. So here's the question. <laughs> What's the name of the main character in Avatar? I rest my uh, case. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> no, you don't, no one knows. Not one person uh, you know, listening is screaming fact, the name out. I can barely remember the name of the actor. Because, again, he did not capitalize on the back of 
No, being nothing. in the, in the uh, being in one of the biggest movies of the time. At, I, I at remember time, Sigourney yeah. Weaver in it. Yeah, but that's it. That but and the one. Yeah. Well, yeah. You remember Sigourney Weaver and anything she's in because of Aliens, which is this movie we're talking about here. Yep. And that's the yep. difference. Yep. Ab- yep. Absolutely. The next one on the list. <clears throat> One of the greatest creative minds of all time, Jim Henson, is the director. Um, David Bowie, uh, the movie that made me fall in love with Jennifer Connelly. Yeah. Liberneth. Liberneth. Labyrinth. Labyrinth. I can never say that. Labyrinth. Who cares? Go on. (laughs) (laughs) I love this movie when it came out. It has not at all held up to the test of times. We watched it with the kids recently, and um, it's a bit of a mess nowadays. Yeah. 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 But at the time in '86, I I thought it was awesome. Yeah, you know, I, I it was one of those movies that. Well, let me put it this way: after I watched it, I wanted to watch it again, mm-hmm. but not for the story, for for the visuals of what Jim Henson Henson was doing on screen, um, and David Bowie was. This was the height of David Bowie being David Bowie. Yeah. I mean, you know, he had some uh, amazing records come out around this time. Uh, And here he is in this role that it's crazy. Yeah. He he basically came in this and and he, you know, he almost did it like it was a music video. Um, Yeah. And, you know, that was that was kind of kind of his shtick back then. And it worked for the movie. It really, really did. It did. Yep. Yeah, uh, the pr- the problem with it is that the the puppetry at the time was fantastic, but it just doesn't hasn't aged at all well. Um, and and also, you know, the uh, large parts of the movie look really shorn of budget. Um, you know, you can tell it's inside on a set, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, it that's that's I think that's the reason why it um, it has a very eighties look to it. It doesn't way doesn't big. Age well, yeah. No, isn't uh, no? I'm taking a different movie. Uh, number seven is a movie that I never cared for then, and I don't care for now. Although it does have its really hardcore fans, and that's Blue Velvet by David Lynch. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't care much for it. It never did anything for me. Well, you have to care for David Lynch, I think, to, to <laughs> enjoy this movie. Uh, yeah. And yeah, no, it's not really my thing either. I understand why people love it, um, but it just doesn't. It doesn't appeal to me at all. Um, I, so you I ha- remember you Dennis ha- Hopper in it really yeah. well, but that's about it. Yeah, you you have to really, you know, if you like Twin Peaks and um, any well any of David Lynch's work, you know, that's kind of slightly off the wall. Nothing is as it seems. Yep. Nothing is straightforward, and these incredibly over the top and and offbeat performances. Then Blue Velvet's your your bag, but no, not for me. Number eight, I I have to be honest with you. I absolutely adore this movie. It's bad. <laughs> it's bad in every way. The yeah. acting is bad. Uh, it breaks the third wall, which I usually don't like. Um, it, it, I, I don't know. There's something about this movie, though. One Crazy Summer, um, starring John Cusack, Demi Moore. Who cares about the rest? They don't matter. Well, this is John Cusack's yeah. movie. Uh, I would I would watch anything John Cusack in. I always have done. I think he's a fantastic actor. Um, he's in one of my favorite movies of all time. Gross is, Point Blank. Yeah. I love that movie. Yeah. Because I feel like Gross Point Blank, the character he plays in it, was the, was the same character in One Crazy Summer. Because yeah. after this movie, he becomes 
he joins the military to kind of straighten his life around and he becomes a killer. Yeah. You know, the, the army teaches him how to kill people and that's his character. That's who he becomes. So if you watch this movie and then turn right around and watch the next one, which in my opinion should be gross point blank, it's the same character. Uh huh. I love that. I love that concept. Um, I don't know. There's it, this movie screams summer to me. That's yeah. what it is. It's it's summer. Yeah, it was it was one of those, and this is what they used to do in the summers. They they didn't used to do always these big blockbusters. They used to do these comedies because mm-hmm. they used to make a lot of money because people would like going to see something light in the summer, you know. Um, and uh, it's uh, it, yeah, it's it's. It's fun. It's very much, again, very much of its time because we don't get movies like this anymore. This is, I mean, it's interesting how many of these types of movies we don't get anymore because the schedule is so full of blockbusters. I mean, we get blockbusters in February now um, and there's not a lot of room for, you know, light affair, just pure comedies. And and the comedies we do get are not full of, you know, they're, full, they're often full of um, kind of people with a name, yep. you know, comedians and... and um, rappers and things like that they're not necessarily just a comedy for the sake of a comedy starring people you might not have heard of right yeah i mean nowadays you get comedy it's like it's the new this co- this actor's comedy yeah or that actor and it, it, the movie they play the same character in every single movie yeah whereas stuff like this it wasn't about the goofy character it was the goofy situation these characters find themselves in and that's what I think makes a better comedy. It's it's yeah. it's the movie. It's the content. It's not the one actor. It's not his showpiece. Mm. You know uh, yeah. what's that one actor? He's real short, black guy. I'm drawing a complete blank on his name. Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart. Yeah, I like Kevin Hart as a stand-up comic. I think he's brilliant. Uh, he plays Kevin Hart in every single movie he's in. Yeah, I've never seen him stretch at all. It's just well, there. That's Kevin Hart. That's yeah. who he plays. Now, that works for some actors like The Rock. The Rock is The Rock, and you want to see The Rock, and you want to see The Rock take someone down. And But you can see The Rock in a comedy, and he does a great job. I don't know if I've ever seen him in a romance, but I would completely buy Dwayne Johnson in a romance. Yeah. Kevin Hart? It's no. Kevin Hart. He's still yeah. so early in his career where he's, I want to say he's stereotyped in these roles, but he goes after these roles and he develops these roles and these, these properties. And yeah. it's just a showcase for his talent, but his talent is, he's a Pink. short, Pink. he's a yeah, short, Pink. funny guy. Yeah. <laughs> short, angry black man. Yeah. That's yeah. his, that's his shtick. And that's okay. Yeah. That works for him. That's right. Yeah. Um, number nine. You know uh, what? I, I loved this I, I movie knew, so much. I knew. I knew. I knew you were going to say you love this movie. Yeah. I knew this. I looked at this list and I said, number nine is the one David's going to be hyped on the most. Uh, and you know what? This is one I did see in the movie theater and it blew me away. What happened Island. to it afterwards is really sad because... It is. It, yeah. they, ru- they ruined the property, but... This yeah. first movie in 1986, it, it, Highlander. It was oh. perfect. It was absolutely yeah. perfect. Yeah, it was. It was so. Oh, it's so good. So good. So, so Highlander is about uh, a guy, uh, a Highlander, a Scottish man played by a Frenchman. There you go. <laughs> go figure. Yeah. <laughs> Who is immortal? He finds out he's immortal, uh, and you follow his life uh, through over about five, six hundred years. Yeah, 
Um, and basically the idea is is that born throughout history are immortals and eventually they will all come together uh, and fight for the prize. You don't know where the immortals came from, why they do what they do or what the prize is throughout the entire movie and it doesn't matter. Yeah? Because these guys, the only way you can kill these immortals is, is behead, they can behead each other. And so yep. they all fight with swords and eventually obviously the hero wins the prize. And, um, you know, it has, not only is it, um, is it a great stylish movie that really kind of captures its fantasy and yet kind of sustains it all the way through, despite the fact there's no explanations, you kind of buy into all of it very, very quickly. It also has one of the truly great villain performances, I think, of any, um, of, of any movie of this period, which is Clancy Brown as the Kurgan. He just basically, he just inhabits this idea of, of a completely crazed, evil character who's just doing what he's doing because he's evil. Um, and it had Sean Connery in it as the kind of the, uh, the, the, the mentor figure, which was, is very much... A, again, we talked before about Aliens, about setting up some of the tropes for these blockbusters. Kind of Highlander did this with the idea of, you know, a protagonist and then kind of some knowledgeable mentor who comes in and kind of sets them up and then is then lost to them for the rest of the movie. Um, it's, it's so good. And um, I haven't watched it for a while, but I'm pretty sure that it won't have aged that badly. No, because it's because it's also a time travel type of thing. You go back and see this character, so when it's modern times, it doesn't have to be today. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. I, here's the funny thing: I did not see this in the movie theater. Right. Um, I watched this like two years later, mm-hmm. when VCRs became a you know everyone had a VCR. I don't even think it was two years; it was probably a year later. I had a VCR. Uh, and I had my own VCR, which when you think a year after that, I was 17 owning my own VCR. Kind of a big deal. Yep. Um, so I had a VCR, and I had this membership to this place called Total Video. And their whole shtick was you can rent up to five movies, you can keep them for a week, and you can pay for them when you return them. Right. And that was awesome because I was a broke 17-year-old. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think it was 250 a movie. So you, you could do the math. I, I would rent four movies, not five. And I owed 10 bucks when I brought them back, but I could keep them a week. And so this was one of those movies that it was the first one in that batch that I watched. Then I watched the other ones. And then I came back and I watched this one again. I really thought it was cool. I, I love the concept. I thought that, well, wow, they could do a whole series of these movies. That would be awesome. And they did, and, and they were awful. <laughs> <laughs> Don't, yeah. Be careful what you wish for is the is the uh, uh, the thing to take away from that. Yeah. Did you watch uh, the TV show? Uh, I started to. I think I watched up to like four or five episodes. I was just like, this is terrible. Yeah. I, I because, never, no, I never watched it either. But, uh, and, well, yeah. I kept comparing the actor to the one in the movie, and he just – I don't know. There was something about Highlander. Maybe it's Sean Connery. I mean, I don't know. There's just something about this movie you just really got to me. I, I liked it a lot. Well, as I said, they just pulled it, despite 
not explaining any of the concepts inside the movie. You just had to... I mean, there was no exposition, or very None. little exposition. The, you know, they were doing these things, they were immortal, and they didn't explain why. Um, I mean, I think one of the weaknesses of the movie is that the whole idea is that they're competing for the prize at the end, uh, and he wins the prize, and you kind of think, well, that sucks. <laughs> right. You know, what? All that for that? But... Um, uh, I, so I think I think I think it had a slightly weak ending, but the rest mm-hmm. of it, oh my god, it was so good. Yeah. Number um, ten. Wow, this one I, as well. Uh, this uh, is... it, it it does not age well, but oh my god, I still love it. Two for well, two reasons. First of all, is everybody involved is having a ball. You yeah. could tell everyone was either drunk, <laughs> didn't give a crap. But they were all having fun. You could yeah. not give a crap about something and still have a good time doing it. Exactly. And I, and I think as well, you know, it, it's so much carried by Kurt Russell, who basically just embraces this so completely. Oh, my God. <laughs> and this was a totally different role for Kurt Russell. And here's the thing, though. It did not define his role going forward. Yeah. But it, it gave you a different outlook on who Kurt Russell yeah. is an actor. Because remember, Kurt Russell was a Disney kid actor. Yeah, that was I mean, that's who he was. Yeah. So big trouble in little China. I don't know who greenlit this. I don't know <laughs> how. I mean, John Carpenter is the frickin he's a horror guy. Yeah. He comes out with this movie. The, the Kurt Russell basically plays a, a, a modern day Han Solo in a way. Kind of a, a con man, but not really kind of a tough guy, but not not really. Uh, yeah. Kind of full of BS. Yeah, he's a he's a rogue. He's a, he's yeah. a he's a rogue with a heart of gold. He yeah. finds himself Han Solo. in a, Yeah, yeah, exactly. He finds himself in this situation where he has to do the right thing, and you know he's going to do the right thing by raising hell. Uh, but he doesn't want to do the right thing. He doesn't want to do the right thing, and he certainly doesn't want to do the right thing by fighting ancient Chinese magic dudes. That's right. <laughs> and yet he does. I, I love this movie. It's so good. It, and the acting is, is so bad. This is one of these uh, one of these movies from the eighties. If you look at the poster, yeah, the poster tells you everything you need to know, and they've kind of encapsulated in the movie. The more often the back then the the, the poster for the movie was kind of like um, you know, it was because it was marketing. It didn't really always directly tie into the movie. Yes. Yeah, that it would be stylized. It would it would emphasize things that weren't part of the movie or very often, um, because it was it was the uh, the poster artist's idea of selling the movie. Big picture of the side. The poster tells you everything you need to know about the movie in one scene. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, there are there are a lot of other movies on this list that I really like. Number eleven, which we you know we stopped at ten, but number eleven is Pretty in Pink. The quintessential, well, one of the quintessential 80s movies. Um, I always it, thought it, Pretty in Pink was a John Hughes movie. I know a lot of people do. It's not. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I, I'm kind of scrolling down. Nine and a half weeks. Yep. That was a really good movie. Yep. The uh, Fly. The Fly. Little yeah. Shop of Horrors. Yeah. The Money Pit. Oh, I love The Money Pit. It does not stand up, by the way. But yeah, I, you know what I didn't like about the Money Pit? I never liked Shelley Long. No, that, something I know what you about mean, yeah. her. She's very annoying, isn't she? Yeah, she's annoying. I never thought she was pretty. Um, 
Remember Lucas? That movie came out. This was Corey Haim's movie, and Charlie yeah. Sheen was in it, too. That one was eh, uh, Maximum Overdrive. Stupid movie. Yeah. The the machines come alive, but it had a killer soundtrack from ACDC. Yeah, they, uh, that was also based off one of the short stories of um, of Stephen King. I'll tell you, that's one where the short story was much better. <laughs> All right, well, that's not saying much. Um, Crocodile, Crocodile Dundee. D- well, that's remember, not a knife. This is a knife. how huge Crocodile Dundee was at the time? He was huge. Yeah. He was and, huge. And, and now nobody remembers it. Mm-mm. Except us. Uh, Short Circuit. Short Circuit was great as well. Yeah. Oh, it's such a racist movie. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's a shame, really. Because, Fisher Stevens yeah. is does the worst Indian character yeah. in the history of movies. He, he's a white guy who blacks up and does a stereotypical. Oh, he, he's it's basically, so if you bad. imagine Abu from The Simpsons made real, that's what Fisher Stevens was, but worse. But worse, <laughs> absolutely. It's if I tried to do the role. It's so bad. I could do the accent. Yeah. But, yeah, it's so bad. We should do that. We should do the worst accents we could possibly do on Tech Fan one day. What do you think? Uh, think people would be angry? Uh, probably. I, I think despite the fact that podcasts aren't regulated, we might be taken off the air if we did that. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Um, but I can do the, the accent. <laughs> Howard no. the Duck. Howard the Duck. Mm-hmm. So stupid. You know, Kevin Smith is doing an, uh, a reboot of Howard the Duck, but it's going to be, I think, animated or computer-generated. Yeah, and I know he keeps Howard keeps showing up in the... Um, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure he was in um, Avengers Endgame. Uh, yes, think, he was. I think, I think he comes out of one of, uh, one of Doctor Strange's portals. Uh, Howard <laughs> the Duck was, was- in... Uh, uh, what is it? The Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, he was. Yeah, but but I, I think they kind of riffed on that, and they had him come out as yeah. one of the heroes as part of the Avengers Assemble scene. Um, and uh, I, I don't know. Maybe that's one character that should have re- remained snapped. Yeah, uh, the Karate Kid Part Two. I actually like the Karate Kid Part Two. Yeah, I th- I, th- I I did too. It, it was. Um, this is the one where they go to Japan. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, I, I thought I, it was a good story. I, I seem to remember it was a it was a good continuation of the original one, um, except they they changed the girl for no reason whatsoever, apart from the fact that obviously uh, Elizabeth Shue didn't want to do it anymore. Um, and uh, well, yeah. I, the, the 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 girl the thi- his his love interest. Yeah. Oh, I I remember thinking she was just so beautiful. Well, the the Japanese girl. Yes. Yeah. Who who's lost to history? Um, but the, the uh, thing about the Karate yeah. Kid Part Two is it is it had that um, it had that monster song from the soundtrack that was yes. so big in the eighties. Did you ever see Young Blood? Yeah, I saw. God, I saw Young Blood many times. Yeah. Many many times. That, that's a good movie. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's it one of those stupid eighties movies, but it kind of works yep. because of the uh, you know it. I mean, this is. This is Rob Lowe very early in his career, and um, he was he was really good in Youngblood. Well, this kind of I mean, Rob Lowe was kind of stuck in those type of roles for a long time until um, the West Wing came out. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, everybody's like, "Wow, Rob Lowe can actually act. That's that's pretty awesome." The Golden Child from Eddie Murphy's group. Oh, well, so were, bad. Yeah, they were trying to do. A, Big Trouble in Little China, but with Eddie Murphy, um, mm-hmm. and uh, it yeah just didn't really work. 
I, I mean, he, Eddie was funny in it, and and I I seem to remember the the the, the funny Eddie Murphy bits were probably the best part of the movie. But, it's the only uh, thing to watch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the the three amigos. Oh my god, I can't believe that's not higher on the list. That's number thirty four. I thought the three amigos was great when I saw it. I mean, it's stupid, but it's great. Yeah, I, I the. The problem, Steve think, Martin, Chevy Chase, yeah. Martin Short. Ugh. Yeah, the difficulty I think with that sort of movie is that even back then, you know, big name comedians doing silly movies, yeah. you know, they 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 weren't big money makers. No. Um, oh, number thirty-seven is one I know you liked. You see it? I'm too far up the list. Space Camp. Uh, you know what? I never I never saw all of Space Camp. Um, I remember the. <laughs> I remember thinking the premise was, even even by movie standards, was fairly, fairly unlikely. Yeah. So the premise of Space Camp is that there was a real space camp. It was a summer camp for kids at NASA. Yeah. And uh, the premise of Space Camp is that um, they get to sit in a real shuttle on a real launch pad that's actually ready to go to orbit. Yeah. Just for a for laugh, and something goes wrong, and they actually get launched. They get orbit. launched. Yeah, yeah it'll happen. <laughs> even for movies, this kind of stretched, uh, you know, stretched credibility. Really, number forty six is actually one of my favorite top one hundred movies of all time, and I don't think anybody went to the movie theater to see it. I think this is one of those movies because everybody has seen. Everyone listening to this has seen this movie. Yeah, but everybody watched it either on HBO or on VHS, yeah. and it's Hoosiers. Uh huh. Oh, I loved Hoosiers when it came out. I, I I was blown away by how much I liked it. I remember I recorded it on HBO, and I must have watched that on on a tape twenty times. Uh, probably eighty seven, eighty eight, somewhere in there. I loved Hoosiers. Uh, it, such a great uplifting movie. Um, but the coach is an asshole. Yeah. I mean, I mean, he's here. Gene Hackman is brilliant in the role. But he is, this is his last chance to be a coach. He was a big-time coach, and he got kicked out because he punched a student. And you can see part of that character still in him, but he's trying really hard, and he's giving other people second chances. Um, And he takes this know-nothing podunk town uh, and their basketball team, which is never good, and he makes something of them by completely changing everything. Um. I, I love Hoosiers. I think it's a great movie. Yeah. You know, what's interesting when you get down this list is how little money these movies made. <laughs> you know, at the theater, yes. At, yeah. Um, but but nowadays, I mean, wow. Even Hoosiers by, made $28.6 million, which is yeah, nothing. Which is eight. And that even at $86 is, is pretty low. Yeah. Yes. But uh, this is also part of the problem with modern movies now is that they. These. These. Smaller movies don't get made, or if they do get made, they get made on Netflix or Amazon or something like that. They don't get to the movie theaters because people won't greenlight such low-budget movies and release them anymore. Exactly. Yep. You know, You're absolutely which is crazy right. because, because you could do five or six of these movies for the cost of one big blockbuster. Yeah, and you you know you you only need one of those to be successful. You're going to make far you you're going to make a good return on your investment rather than. Um, potentially losing 250 300 million dollars after marketing which is what you do if you do a blockbuster that doesn't fight that doesn't work 
Uh, we do want to thank our sponsor this week. It's uh, Otherworld Computing. It's MaxSales.com. If you are looking uh, for storage options, memory options, you know what? Computer options. If, if you're looking for a used computer, MaxSales.com should be your first stop for any of those things. They have, are they the cheapest prices? No. You, you could find stuff out there cheaper. But you know what? They're cheaper for a reason. So if you're looking for quality, backed up by a really good company, check out Otherworld Computing, sponsoring not only this episode of TechFan, but OWC is the sponsor of the MyMac Quiz at the upcoming Macs.com conference from July 27th and 28th. We are exactly, well, yesterday was two weeks away two from weeks, starting. Yeah. Uh, less than two weeks, David and I are going to be at... Galloping Ghost Arcade at noon, noon on July 26th. We invite anybody who's in the area to stop by and play some video games with us. David will be there with Alexander. I'll be there with Brooke. It's going to be a rollicking good time. Yep. But come to Stock. You can meet David and I. You can meet Guy Searle. There's just going to be a ton of people there. It's going to be a really good time. And uh, we have to wrap up now because i got to go wake up the fam so we can get cold to summer camp. I'll well, see you next week, David. Yep. Last show before we uh, go to Max Sots. So looking forward to that. Awesome. See you then. All right. See you then.